0: Once you incorporate a company, what does it look like about who owns what aspects of the intellectual property that we've founded together or on our own even? The first step that I would always recommend is...
1: Welcome back to the Wild Goose Chase, where we uncover the tactics, tools, and strategies to help you grow your business, build wealth, and live a life by design. And today, we talk about something which is probably not something you've thought about before, and that is intellectual property, but it is something that I'm really, really nerdily kind of passionate about. I love it because intellectual property, once you start to understand it, is really where all of the transferable value lies in your business. And you would be surprised at how you can derive that value and how deeply you can go with it. And actually what that can mean for your potential to either create additional revenue streams, to create uh, more wealth, to be able to create a saleable asset. It is really a fascinating topic and something that I'm genuinely actually passionate about. And so on today's show, uh, we get Corinne Whelan, who's actually our IP lawyer that we work with in our companies, and she's great. We talk about things like what is IP, how to protect it, different types of it, how to pull it apart, how to Sign transferable value. It's really a fascinating episode. So if you've got a business of any size, it doesn't matter whether you're a coach doing $100,000 a year, or if you've got a $50 million, you know, multimedia manufacturing company type thing, this is going to be a great show because you're going to unlock new ways to think about how to find hidden value in your business. So I'm super passionate about this and I love it. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. Anywhere else, make sure you do the same thing. And if you're not watching this on YouTube, I recommend you do go to YouTube, sign and subscribe to the channel. We're building a great following there. Thank you so much uh, for participating. Thank you so much for your support. Without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back to The Wild Goose Chase. Joining me today is Corinne Whelan. Corinne is a practice leader at Legal Vision. She's also an expert in commercial law, intellectual property, franchising, and loads more stuff. And I'm very excited, Corinne, to talk to you today about intellectual property, which is not what most people think of when they think about an interesting and scintillating topic. But (laughs) I've got to say, I actually think it's really, 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 really interesting and super fun, which... Might just mean that I'm a nerd. I don't know, but I'm hoping you also think it's fun. And I'm hoping to I was going to say you and me both. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, that's good. (laughs) That's that's good. That's good. It's a topic that a lot of people don't think about, um, particularly anyone who's in business. And I just. You know, you and I have had a lot of interactions about this, and for the benefit of everyone who's watching this on YouTube, and if you are watching this, make sure you hit the subscribe button or if you're listening to this. Um, Corinne and I actually work together in the context that um, Corinne is our lawyer when it comes to IP and all of that kind of stuff. So we're actually working really, really closely, and we've had the opportunity to dig into this. But before we crack on, Corinne, what – on earth made you get into what made you get into law and then how did you end up in this kind of IP side of things?
0: It's kind of funny my journey of getting into law really I didn't really know what I was going to do after I finished high school and I ended up with good enough marks to get into a double degree of um, psych and law so I thought I'd like test it out and go okay well let's try both and see which one I want to do ended up doing both degrees and enjoyed the law aspect of it a lot kind of started out with a job in chambers with some embarrassed is, that really kind of Got this passion for law happening. They were really good. They encouraged me a lot, said I was a good lawyer. And I was like, well, I must be on the right path somewhere. And then I went to a couple of different firms. And in that process, I ended up working under um, a special counsel who actually specialized in franchising and commercial law at the time. So, funny story, I actually started out in wills and estates, which is really boring, you know, dealing with people dying and, you
1: know, all of that will I'm stuff. I'm sure someone finds it interesting, just in the same way that you find IP interesting. I'm sure somebody exactly. else finds that interesting.
0: Exactly. So um, I was meant to kind of do that when I changed to this firm that I was at prior to Legal Vision. I ended up enjoying the commercial aspect, um, and I was doing a whole range of commercial law, specifically franchising, um, because it's quite a niche area. Obviously, with when you talk about franchising, it's using other people's intellectual property and giving that mm-hmm. to third. Parties that aspect intrigued me, um, and I worked with a lot of big franchisor clients, and that really kind of sparked a passion of working with these big, you know, international brands and taking them and expanding them across Australia and also across the world.
1: That, you said something really interesting there. That franchising is, I'm paraphrasing massively, but franchising yeah. is effectively paying to use somebody else's IP, which is not. I don't. I don't think that's how a lot of people would be thinking about it. They'd be thinking mm-hmm. like. You know, they might use terms like business in a box or they get it, but they're probably not actually thinking like the specific thing that is being transferred, the transferable value, in fact, is the IP, which the that IP, and I'd love to actually just touch on the difference between franchising and licensing. And if I, yeah. and because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but franchising, you get the brand, you pay a fee to get both the brand and the systems mm. and Licensing, you pay a fee to get either the brand or the systems. Is that sort of right, or have I kind of got that a little bit wrong?
0: No, it's sort of right. I mean, it depends on which kind of country you're in. So it's very jurisdictional. But in Australia, um, what a franchise agreement is, is actually defined in legislation. So a lot of people, when they're looking at franchising, they do come to me with this whole I don't want to, like, I don't want to franchise or I don't want to license. What are my options? Um, And it's actually Mm -hmm. defined. But you've pretty much summarized it. There's a lot lot more of control element in it. But basically, when you're franchising, you are essentially giving someone all of that intellectual property, all of your know-how, you know, how to run a business on a day-to-day basis. you basically got mm-hmm. a, something that's replicable and you're giving it to someone else to replicate in a different area and that's all ip everything that you're giving them is ip your customer databases your trademarks you know even mm. sometimes your business name
1: super interesting okay so cuz you touched on then uh, there are a few types of ip and a lot of people don't think about this as well like so mm-hmm. when People most people don't think about IP, but if they were to think about it, they would probably think about it being something like, Have I come up with an invention? Like Mm. is there something is there something completely unique that I've spontaneously combusted into the world in some way um, (laughs) that I'm like it might be something that you might think about patenting, right? But then there's a lot of businesses out there, for example, if you look at like let's just say a coaching business model, which inherently most people say has oh no saleable value and all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, if you can define what people pieces of that actually do have value, which is, in effect, your, your asset property, uh, Yes, that actually create And and a customer list, is that is that an IP or is that just an asset?
0: It's an asset, but I would definitely say it's intellectual property based on the fact that you... What you need to think about is what's gone into creating that customer, you know, list for example Mm. are you spending time driving relationships building a particular way of providing a service that's unique to you that has Mm. brought that client on board and all of that i think needs to be considered a little bit more when we're talking about intellectual property and that is that kind of you know those forms that aren't necessarily registerable um like when we're thinking about patents or we're thinking about trademarks there's a lot of other Mm. elements and aspects to intellectual property that We often kind of ignore and leave on the back burner and we think, okay, IP, have I registered my trademark or my logo and made sure that it's, you know, protected with IP Australia? Have I gone and, you know, I've created this cool concept, can I patent it? And that's just like, there's just two aspects of registering IP when there's other, you know, less kind of measurable or tangible forms of IP that are all part of the IP journey that we often ignore or forget about that are super crucial to any business that's operating or any system that you could be you know using throughout the world and also locally
1: yeah okay cool so so let's reel off a few things that kind of constitute that you mentioned like logo company name like, yep. what are other some other common forms of IP that most businesses have that they might not actually be thinking about as IP?
0: Yeah. Well, something that I know you and I have discussed, Goose, is hmm. things like software. I think people often, you know, obviously, software as a service is a, is a huge thing at the moment. And I think it's only ever going to get bigger. And often when people look at what their assets are and what their intellectual property is as one of those assets, they often don't think about the fact that that software that's being created and developed has multi like multiple parts of intellectual property within that software itself the code that's written into it the you know all of the system itself so it's one of those aspects that I think, you know, is a, is a great example of intellectual property that you could break down. Again, things like colour schemes, obviously a lot of that's not really, like people don't often register that as trademarks, but it's usually associated with your marks. But, you know, when we're thinking about someone's branding as a whole, we think mm. about particular colour schemes or colour palettes that are used. That's another form that obviously that comes into more, it's not registrable very often, but it is something that you should be thinking about because it creates brand awareness and it's something that's specific. Fit to you that you would look yeah. at. Now, you know, other examples are, you know, your operations, which we kind of, you know, mentioned briefly. And again, in the franchising world, this is really important because we have what we call an operations manual. And all of that is basically you hand your franchisee a book and that book is basically, here's how to run my business that I've created from scratch. All of those operational aspects are definitely intellectual property. And you don't really want that stuff to get into the hands of competitors either. So, you have to be really careful with thinking about, well, what am I handing over to people? How am I articulating, you know, every stage of that customer service process that keeps my customers happy and wanting to come back to my brand on a day-to-day basis? So, there's, there's some kind of less common things that people think about.
1: Most people are overlooking hidden value in their business. What I mean by value is I mean actual company value, right? Mm. I think about uh, how to value a business and I might look at things like profit. Okay, it's a multiple of EBITDA or something like that. That is true. However, if it's a multiple of EBITDA and you have no documented systems, you haven't protected your brand name, if you haven't kept good records of your client list or any of that kind of stuff, then yeah. you will get that the multiplier on that uh, profit is gonna be significantly lower. If you can actually quantify and define all of these things and actually prove that you have documented repeatable systems and processes, et cetera, you can actually ascribe a specific value to those individual things. And so you can actually, just by making sure that you've got your shit together, basically, Add literally millions of dollars of value to your business, and what I what I like about this, we've actually done this right. So yeah. in the real estate in the real estate space, so we obviously have, as you know, but for those uh, listening, we actually have two companies. We have one which is a real estate services business called Dashdot, and we have another one which is a real estate technology business called Global PropTech Solutions. But inside Dashdot, real estate services businesses typically have. Almost no value. <laughs> they like mm. they they typically like a real estate agency, for example, has like a one times revenue valuation model type thing. Usually, yeah. because mm. there's not like it's lots of key person risk and all of that kind of stuff. Now, what we've done is we actually said, okay, well, how do we create repeatable, scalable systems, and how do we reduce key person risk, and how do we actually make it so that this thing actually can operate like a machine? And we documented the schematic. We documented our entire all of our business processes, put them into a big schematic that. Mm specific actual thing that we have now has like a ton of value because not that we ever do want to sell our business if we did we could be like hey here is how it all works there you go and that's worth millions of dollars
0: Yeah, and and that's one of those things that I think when I'm advising clients, it comes up so regularly, particularly when they're looking at, you know, usually getting third-party investment or injecting some kind of capital into the business. Mm. You kind of look at the situation, you go, okay, well, that's fine. Someone's looking to put some money into your business. Where is the value of that business. Well, mm-hmm. ultimately, the value of that business is derived from this intellectual property, all of the things that make your business what it is. If you haven't put in established systems of quantifying that, if you haven't got a way of you know, actually determining who owns what aspects, what company owns what aspects of that IP, if you've never really properly had you know, assignments of certain IP from your employees, then it's something that a potential investor will look at and say, well, I'm not going to invest as much money now because you haven't properly protected and you haven't properly established the IP and I don't even know what I'm buying into.
1: <laughs>
0: mm. um, it's very, yeah. very common. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. You said something, there, you know, which is such an interesting thread to pull on. And again, I think this is something that business owners are just never going to be, not not frequently going to be thinking about. Employee IP assignment, mm. which is really interesting. And I'd like to kind of, I'd like you to talk about that in a second, but what what a, I'll also point out something interesting as well. So Gabby and I started our business, dot. we started it from scratch. Now, what was interesting is that later on in the game, when we were, you know, we have looked at, we haven't taken on any investment, but we have looked at it, all of that kind of stuff. We actually realized that we had to assign all of our own IP. We actually literally had yeah. to say, Oh yes everything that I've ever thought of that ever has I've ever created ever <laughs> in the history of ever is now all owned by dash dot 100% yeah. of every idea that I've ever it was that basically right and yeah. um and we actually had to do that with another uh, key team member as well we had to say okay you're bringing a lot of ip to the table I need you to sign a document that says we own everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is crazy, right? And then obviously, yep. we've had to now, with new team members, as we've grown and hired, the t- uh, grown our team, we've actually then had to specifically say, hey, by the way, everything that you create, we own as well. So, do you want to kind of talk to, I- uh, to employee IP assignments and talk to that for a little bit?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, the first thing that, like, what you're hitting on is almost the journey that I see for pretty much every business I work with. You know, as you're scaling up and you're getting bigger and you're growing, we usually kind of start to wind back, back a little bit and go, okay, let's put some foundational things in place to ensure that moving forward, when you're looking at having third parties or more people involved, everything's tied up and wrapped up nicely so we can protect the business because ultimately that's where all the IP needs to be held is with the business. What people don't realize is that obviously most businesses have founders that start the idea and it starts from, you know, a conversation at the pub together or whatever it might be and it grows and it it grows and it grows and it becomes this really valuable thing. Whatever type of industry you're in, whether you're providing products or you're providing services, you know, you know, you've, you've making recipes through a restaurant like all of those ideas are your own and you need to figure out once you incorporate a company what does it look like about who owns what aspects of the intellectual property that we've founded together or on Mm -hmm. our own even so the first step that i would always recommend is that yeah those founders first assign their ip to the ultimate company that will be operating the business or holding the intellectual property on behalf of the rest of the entities. When we talk about employees, that's the where it usually gets a little bit more complicated. And often, again, when you're in this startup phase and you're looking at just creating the IP. You don't often think about having the contracts in place with the people that you're using. And sometimes, you know, again, it comes after the fact, you'll create the code for the software. And then suddenly, the person who's created the code for the software, you realize, well, they're technically employed, but they've never had a contract with us before. So there's a few things that you can do where normally you would an assignment deed to capture that prior IP created and you'd also draft a contract agreement or an employment agreement that will cover their employment and within those agreements we'd usually include specific IP related clauses that say that the company will you know basically from the next day onwards own all of IP or of the IP that you're creating on behalf of the company and I should say in Australia there's like particular you know Restraints and things like that are complicated. But for the most part, having a clause and ensuring that the employees do own, you know, do essentially assign all that IP to you is really, mm. really important.
1: Yeah. So, what I want to kind of like dig a little bit deeper now, where it gets really interesting is how you define each of the components of the mm. IP and then how you can think about what to do with that. Let me use an example. So we've built a software platform called Romeo, which has not yet been launched. So we could say, hey, Romeo is a bit of IP. We could just literally say, it's Romeo, right? Just a big blanket label. But then if we really think about it, well, there's different components to that. There's the Romeo name, There's the Romeo uh, brand marks. There's those. Okay, so we kind of got those like marketing iconographic type bits. Okay, that's interesting. Then we also have the um, code base, right? So the code specifically 18,000 lines of code or whatever it is that make up the tool. That is a piece of IP. Okay, so that's interesting. But then we also have the backend engineering, all of the formulas and calculations and all of that. And that, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's another bit of IP. And so then you start to pull it apart. Now, people might be thinking, well, why would you bother doing that? And it's because you can actually do different things with every single one of them. Every single one of them has a different potential value. And just to kind of pull this apart to make it real, so let's use Romeo, for example. Mm. We could, for example, say we're going to license the code to someone, but they're not gonna get any of the backend engineering and they're not gonna get the brand name, but we could license the code. Or in fact, somebody else could say, look, we wanna create all of our own UX, but what we really want is we want the underlying um, backend uh, mechanisms that make it work. And we could license just that bit. Or in fact, we could license the brand to somebody else as well. And so every single one of those um, little unique pieces of IP is a potential revenue stream, right? So there's a yes. there, it's a potential revenue stream, but it's also a, a value multiplier. And so then you then so and you can do that with anything. So for example, if you create your SOPs, one SOP has its own unique bit of value. If you've created a unique way to um, serve your clients or customers in your business, and you've got one SOP for uh, this is how we do the onboarding process Mm. that onboarding process is its own bit of ip and that has transferable value you could literally license just that onboarding process to another company and so then you get to and it starts to become really quite fractal because the more threads you pull on the more you realize oh my god there's all of this hidden value and the bigger the value pile gets what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah, no, I totally agree, and it's it's pretty common for people not to actually fully appreciate that and appreciate what they're act- what they've created, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right; like every single aspect of that overarching IP that you have, there are different layers to it and different elements to it that all have different rights as well under like under law to be honest Mm. like there's you know we're talking about code code's actually protected under the copyright act um, which is a piece of legislation that protects copyrighted information but then we talk about things like your branding and maybe not necessarily you know let's say a slogan some people don't protect that some people won't go through the process of going and registering that as a trademark which you can but they'll go oh we'll just leave that aspect of it so maybe you just go, okay, well, we've created this code. We're really happy with this. And we're just going to give someone the right to use that code without, and, and license that to them. And we'll keep all of our own IP with regard to our name and our logo and our slogan. So all they're really getting is that baseline, little bit of information, a little bit of something, and they can apply that in a different context, a similar mm-hmm. context, particularly with, you know, code base. I've see, you know, I've worked with a few businesses in the the tech space and obviously some of them say, well, we're actually comfortable for you to use our code base so long as it's being used in a context that isn't the same as us. So we don't want you to use it with another competitor. There are so many ways you can break down that IP and it can be used. Again, some people might go, well, take Romeo as an example. We're actually happy to license the entirety of what Romeo is and the people using that license will actually be, you know, part of Romeo and be identified Mm. with those marks. Um, But yeah, there are so many different elements to it and everything can be broken down and monetized. And we see that a lot in contracts we draft. Um, Mm. And that's why it's really important when you're, you know, thinking about taking what you have and giving it to third parties, either through a license or an assignment, Mm. what you do need to be thinking about is, okay, what actual elements do I want to provide and what restrictions do I want to place on that use? Because if you don't Restrict that use entirely or in a way that's beneficial for you, you can end up kind of with, you know, unfortunately things going sour and someone, Mm. you know, doing the dirty on you and taking that IP and using it to compete against you if the contract allows for it. You got to be really, really careful um, with what you're doing and when you're taking it to market.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. I was just thinking about leveraging a different example to kind of illustrate how IP can be broken up and then Mm. used let's just use an example of a podcast right which is a really interesting example okay so let's for example just take the wild goose chase podcast and use that as an example so we could say hey we've got this podcast called the wild goose chase okay great is that worth anything maybe let's just assume that it is but then what we actually have is so much more than that we have the url We have Mm. YouTube channel, which has subscribers. You know, we have the other channels that we distribute on, which have subscribers. Each of those individually and those subscriber bases, they are, they are. we could sell the YouTube channel. Because a lot of people don't, a lot of people think, oh, do I want to sell my business or not? Rather than like, could I sell a little bit of my business? Or could I in fact do a JV? So if we, for example, own all of the videos, that's all of the content that is created, that is IP. And each individual one of those is an individual bit of IP. And for example, we Mm. might not saying that we the, the, uh, the content is appropriate to do this, but there could be someone who wants to put together some kind of course or membership site, and they're looking for content. And we could say, "Hey, well, we've yeah. got this content. Do you want to license the videos?" But no other part of the you know, none of the brand. Um, you don't get the name. You don't get the colors. You don't get the YouTube channel. But what you do is you get the right to use the videos in your membership site and so you can literally license individual videos or the whole suite of videos or any of these components and you don't even have to sell it you can then do joint ventures so you could yes. say to somebody else oh hey you're really good at growing podcasts i would like to joint venture with you and i'm going to give you 50 percent of the right to the content that is created and 25 percent of the right to the brand name or whatever yep. and to create something there as well which for any business at any level, it has to be something that triggers something in their brain to go, Whoa, hang on a second, what's going on here? All of a sudden, rather than having one thing, which is a business, they actually mm. probably have a thousand things. And with those thousand things, you could say, I'm going to sell the name of the podcast. I'm actually going to sell the entire name of the podcast to somebody else, but I'm going to keep making the content. And so then you you start to then pull out all of these different ways to create different income streams, partnerships, JVs, sell assets, uh, you know, accumulate capital, which is really... Fascinating, which is this is the crux of why I nerd out on it so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like to use even like a kind of different example, but something that I see happen quite commonly, you know, in sales of businesses, for example, Mm. is people actually forget to put in that asset list or within their actual kind of sellable things that they're that they're selling is things like social media pages. That is such a huge thing for a business. And you know, let's say like take an example of a restaurant or a cafe, so much of their, you know, branding ip what people value is that instagramable content you know like you go to a cafe and you go like for me i personally like i'm going to judge the cafe based on what their photos of their food look like like if the Mm -hmm. food looks bad i'm not gonna go so so many times i've seen people go oh well actually they they have a really big following on instagram i need i need that page um and there that kind of talks to a little bit some of the issues that you do have with these separation out of IP is also third party contributions to that because in using social media as an example usually Instagram or Facebook or something like that will usually have particular ownership rights and terms and conditions about what you can do with that content and often most of the clauses in those terms actually say that for you to assign an account to someone else there basically has to be permission given by that third party provider including Facebook or Instagram and from what I understand in the industry I don't think think many people are writing to Facebook or Instagram to say, hey, can my small business cafe down the road be assigned to someone else? Can we give them our account? But there are a lot of things that you do have to think about that do have that value and you kind of need to be on top of it to think about, okay, what do I want to take and what do I want to give out to other people? What does that look like practically speaking? And are there any other people involved that I need to seek permission from in order to do so?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It also opens up, so you've touched on a really interesting topic there that I'm also really, just, uh, really fascinated by, and it's yep. um, acquisitions of social media properties and assets, right? You know, because you're talking about an Instagram page, you can buy the Instagram page and not the business, Right. So Mm. I was looking at a, um, I was looking at a, a, there's an entrepreneur that I know who, uh, or sorry, sold an Instagram page for like $30,000. He'd built up his page built up this page and it was full of great videos and a lot of followers and a lot of uh, interactivity, sold it to someone else who went and uh, then leveraged that as part of a broader brand strategy to go and make millions of dollars. Yeah. Vice versa, Mm -hmm. if you've got a business and you want to get more traffic, for example, you could find a Facebook group. Maybe there's 200,000 people in a Facebook group that are specifically Mm -hmm. in line with your niche. Now, you could acquire that Facebook group, because that's a media property, or in fact, you could try and license it from them because that is that is something. And you could you could then do some kind of like, hey, um, you get to keep it, but what I want to do is I want to license it from you for like two inches. So, you can kind of do these other interesting uh, deals. Once you start to tease out the fact that you know within any asset, there are multiple assets and multiple ways to kind of structure any type of agreement, which again, is at the core of why this is such an interesting topic to me, because the more that you can break it apart, it's there's a saying that um, the investment bankers will take something that's worth $10 million, they'll break it up into 10 different pieces that are each worth $10 million, right? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And, and all that is, is effectively understanding how to assign value to different elements of a business, and then how to create different structures and how to slice them out, and then assign that IP into different structures that has its own tangible value. And that's that's truly fascinating to me. So it does kind of lend yeah. start to then lend into thinking about how, how to think about structures and stuff like that. Should you structure your IP in a different entity to your core business or to, do you want to talk about that for a little bit?
0: When clients come to us and talk about company structuring, um, we often recommend that they would have a separate IP entity mm-hmm. or at least a holding company that hold all of those assets because again, they're assets of the business, mostly to protect them from claims against the, from third parties or from customers or things like that. It's kind of in its own little haven. I will profess I'm not a company structuring expert. I don't, I don't try to be, but um, I do have a good baseline understanding that that is the recommended structure and, you know, using the franchising example, which is what I do every day, our common franchising structure is actually a holding company, which has all the IP an operating entity, which does all the day-to-day operations of, you know, any franchise stores that they own at, at head at head office level. And then you'd have a franchising entity. And that franchising entity is actually the franchisor. And they are the one that licenses all of the franchise rights to those franchisees that are operating on store level. We add in some extra other companies as well. So we would d- generally recommend that it is done, but often, you know, there are tax considerations and things that people do need to think about because we're talking about transferring assets around. So mm. if you're transferring assets and usually if they're not part of the same consolidated um, group, you do need to think about what that means from a potential capital gain perspective as well. Mm. So it is important to think about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super interesting because the moment that you it's but you know what's really interesting about that? Is value is created in perception, right? Because mm. if in one moment you say I don't have any brand value, right? Whatever, right? Yeah. Just, but then all of spo- a sudden, spontaneously, you go. Actually, no, 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 no. My brand is actually worth a million dollars because it's got. I don't know. I've got all this. It's got all this. You brand brand value metrics, right? Then you decide that you're then going to ascribe that to a different entity. The act of deciding, in 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 many ways, the act of th- becoming aware of the value is the act that creates the value, which is mm. really interesting because if i said hey i want to i just want to ascribe the ip from one company to another and it's got no value but then as soon as you start to perceive the value the value starts to be real is is, is that kind of it seems bizarre, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it is a little bit like obviously with any kind of company restructure, like what I've just explained about moving those assets around, often because they're if they're all within the same company group or corporate group, we'd often say, well, you know, you can allocate a nominal fee or for the, you know, for the assignment, for example, and say, you know, value of a dollar just for the purposes of forming what we call consideration in a contract. In some cases, you do want to think about it a little bit more and maybe take a step back and go, should I talk to my accountant about the actual value of this asset because there is value to it and I'm about to draft a contract or at least sign a contract that says in some respects that this is actually attributed value of one dollar and you know it's not and I'm sure your accountant if you talk to them about it they'd say, well no, I don't think so. Then you've got some investor that wants to come in and they're like, oh well we can see in you know 2023 you actually assigned your IP to this company for a nominal value. Is that really the value? And now you're
1: saying it's worth $10 million. But right there (laughs) six months ago you said it was worth (laughs) one dollar.
0: Exactly, exactly. So there there are some things that you do need to think about when we're talking about how you value that. Sometimes it's kind of like, okay, this is the funny thing, like, you know, some people mm. use that approach is pulling a figure out of thin air. But there are, you know, particular ways and, you know, certain experts and accountants that will work with you to attribute a proper value to all of that IP or the IP of the group as a whole, which is usually the main the main consideration is, okay, yes, we've moved the IP, but we know that the entire group, <laughs> corporate mm. group, has a lot of value in itself.
1: So how do people protect their IP, their intellectual property? What mechanisms are there? How do they think about doing that? Some stuff seems like it's more protectable than others. How do how do we think about that?
0: When I'm thinking about IP protection, I kind of like to break it into <laughs> registrable IP and then non-registrable IP because and some of them there's obviously overlap like in how you protect it, but The main difference is anything that's registerable, which is something that's like a trademark, a patent. You can also register designs, and I think people often overlook that. They think that they basically have to patent, you know, a particular thing they've created. Again, patents are really expensive and it's a really long-winded process to try and get that protection. And it has to be unique in the market. No one can have done it before. So often when people don't have something super unique or novel that, you know, is capable of being patented, you can still register like the design, which, you know, maybe you've created a cool handbag that's different to everybody else's. But that's a, a really easy and tangible way of protecting the IP just by taking that extra step. Primarily, yeah, patenting, registering those designs or registering your trademarks. So obviously, trademark being, it could be your brand, it could be the actual logo itself, your name or the words that form part of your name. You can trademark certain sounds and symbols and colours depending on the context in which it's being used. Mm. Um, like Cadbury
1: have patented that uh, th- that purple. Yes, I tried yeah, to paint yeah. it a different colour of purple, and I was told I wasn't allowed to. So
0: <laughs> you probably had to establish a, probably more use or something that showed yeah, it was yeah. really unique or novel. Um, but it, yeah, in, in those kind of ways, there that they're the ways you would register your IP and before I kind of go into details about the other things one thing I want to flag as well is most systems of registering IP are jurisdictional i.e. it's based on where you are located so if you register a trademark in Australia that mark will not be protected in America um, Mm. or in even in New Zealand so you need to be really thoughtful about where you're planning on expanding next because it may be worthwhile talking to your lawyer or a trademark attorney working out okay where am i going to expand to next because what businesses do some businesses make a living off essentially seeing what brands are coming up and trying to register it okay. so that they have to buy it off them and that it's with the afterpay? same yeah exactly exactly
1: yeah. So after so Afterpay tried to go into the into the UK and well they didn't they went into the UK but somebody had already registered the um registered the yep. name Afterpay and I don't know don't know what the negotiation was, but for whatever reason Afterpay had to use a different name in the UK and that was mm-hmm. tremendously bad for their business. It was not good.
0: Exactly, exactly. And it you know, it's the same with I think people forget about domain names as well, which is mm. another form of of registrable IP, protecting and and purchasing. <laughs> potential domains that you know might be associated with your brand or you might want to use to expand overseas as well because often we'll say oh well i've registered.com.au but have you registered.co.uk, for example. Mm. So, all of those things need to be thought about because that is registrable IP that needs to be actioned. Um, and, you know, I do training with, you know, entrepreneurs and particularly female entre- entrepreneurs as part of a, a particular group. And so the number one thing that comes up when I'm talking to a lot of people that are starting out, they've already been running their business under a particular business name. They've got their product. They're, like, ready to go to market. And... I'm like, have you looked on IP Australia for the trademark Mm -hmm. and for that name? And they're like, oh my gosh, there's someone with the exact same name. And it's like, well, you can't use it. (laughs) You've created products using this mark and you actually can't, or this wording. And that is really difficult to navigate. So it's something that people should be thinking about right at the beginning. So that's your, your registrable IP. The next thought is like the stuff that isn't really registrable, but that is important that we've already kind of briefly discussed but your your know-how your trade secrets all of those items that you might not necessarily think about from physical you can't necessarily hold <laughs> know-how in a way but it's everything that's up here about how to run that business how to get on board clients sales techniques yeah customer service processes you know even those databases of confidential information um or code or software things like that that you know yes you You can physically see the code that you're writing, for example, or, you know, it's going into something, but having a a way of protecting it, the best way of protecting all of these things that are really hard to kind of, you can't put them out and register them somewhere and publicly notify everyone that it's yours, is mostly through the contracts that you are using within your business. If you're having contractors involved in the process of writing code, which is really important, or, you know, sometimes even creating your website. People don't realize that a lot of, they use contractors a lot of the time, and those contractors usually have these weird agreements that will say that the contractors actually own that IP and that website. And if you want to get it modified by someone else, you have to go through a whole process of dealing Mm. with the original people that wrote your website code. The main thing is every contract, when you are talking about creating potential IP, you should be reviewing those terms or establish your own terms because you know what that says and you know that it says that everything will be assigned to the company and be held with the company. They're the kind of clauses you want to see in those business contracts. Similarly, when you're allowing third parties to use your IP, again, you really want to make sure (laughs) that they have particular, you know, essentially particular contracts in place and that it's on your terms and it's your Mm -hmm. contract that you're providing them
1: how do you enforce that or how do you know if someone's infringing on your IP? Like, because, I mean, it's kind of simple if you see someone using your brand name or something like that's kind of like, hey, that's our brand name. Stop doing that. And, you know, but what about, how would you know if somebody else is infringing on some of your other IP or how, how, do, you, how do you think about yeah. that?
0: Yeah, it can be really difficult. Um, The most common way you'll be able to know or you can usually figure it out is when people have been directly involved in your business. Um, And this is primarily when we're talking about, you know, former employees, which again, protecting things like that will be done through proper employment contracts or confidentiality agreements. If you have a customer database and all of a sudden all your customers get a mass text message from a former employee. It's really obvious usually that something's gone on but proving that can be really difficult and administratively is quite a burden particularly if you end up going down the court process because there's a lot of discovery about getting that. I've had examples in the past with businesses where someone has clearly stolen their IP and the best way of doing it is basically doing a forensic analysis on their computer or on a USB that we know that they've, you know, we can track and it's it's complicated but basically it's like people who are in tech can basically say okay are USB was inserted the following files were taken and you can actually you have to bring it down to what was yeah. actually stolen you know other certain things like but it's usually when someone's involved in the business it's a lot easier proving it can yeah. be difficult
1: <laughs> yeah we had we had a funny situation a few years ago where there was a service provider that we were working with that as part of the service they had access to our customer data. We decided to no longer work with that uh, service provider for a variety of reasons. It was all good, Uh, except they then decided that they wanted to go into competition. And then they literally started, they had already collected in their own database, our customer data, which because we weren't thinking in like that kind of protection-y kind of way. And then we saw them starting to use case studies of our clients. And we were like, what is even going on here? This is i never seen anything like it. So we yeah. went back through the contract that we had originally signed and there was a clause that we didn't read properly because it was like when we very first started our business. And we were like, yeah, okay, it's all good. And everyone's, we're going to own all the, the customer data or have rights to use and also rights to, do, rights to do all the stuff. And it was literally, we couldn't do anything about it. It was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. I was just, it was complete madness. So nonetheless, we have, um or, you know, needless to say, we've definitely learned a lesson out of that.
0: It's crazy, but it, it's more common than you think, um, which is unfortunate because I think there's a lot of people that are starting up out there. Things are hard enough to get your head around as a lawyer. So, like, if you're not a lawyer and you're reviewing those contracts, it there's – so many aspects to it where, you know, particularly like you'll be given a contract from a third party supplier, you'll kind of go, yeah, yeah, baseline level, I think I know what I, I think I know that that is what I want it to be. But quite often there are those little clincher clauses in there that are drafted specifically so that these kind of providers can Mm. do exactly what you're talking about. Um, So it is really, really important to go over them with a fine tooth comb and to talk to a lawyer or a professional about it to try and understand because it Happens a lot, unfortunately, and I hate to say it, but it really does. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think, again, looping this back though, this is such an important topic for people to be thinking about for exactly those reasons. Like, you can sign a contract to work with a third party provider and accidentally assign away rights to a whole bunch of IP that is yours, that is actually a competitive advantage which you should be retaining. There's also yes. so many things in your business that you don't even, if you just paid attention to them and actually mm-hmm. ascribed some value and attention to we you'd have this interesting stuff. So I think this is a... Fascinating topic. One of the reasons that we have this show is I really want to help people to be able to create a, you know, live a life on their terms and, you know, build wealth, create freedom, do all of that kind of stuff. And understanding yeah. this is such a key to unlocking that pathway. So I've loved this chat. Is there anything else we need to talk about before we wrap it up?
0: I am super passionate about this and I think it is really, really important. And I think people are sometimes afraid, particularly in that startup phase, to reach out to a professional or a lawyer and say, is this something I should be doing? Is this, you know, is this normal? Is this contract clause reasonable? And if you maybe take the time and spend a little bit of the money up front, I know it sounds crazy. Honestly, it can really protect you in the long run because again, if you're creating something valuable or you have different aspects of things that have valuable or that are valuable within your IP, this is the the main way to do it and to think about it. So, yeah.
1: Well, speaking of spending money up front and for those of you who are watching, this is absolutely not a paid plug, right but we actually we actually work with legal vision, and I gotta say the experience is awesome, and it actually makes getting the legal advice that you need affordable. And so for those of you who are interested go check out Legal is it legalvision.com or is it .au is it which
0: I think it's .com.au I should I should know that but we I'm should sure both know that
1: com. probably <laughs> probably <laughs> anyway just google legal vision go check them out again this is not a paid promotional plug this is not what this is about but as someone who has been working with legal vision for the last few years I actually genuinely recommend it we're expanding into the US and it is the bane of my existence I'm like <laughs> legal vision in USA there's no exe- there's no compa- I'm like ah oh, come on can some? Someone just offer what is being offered there. So it's, uh, it makes the whole, the ability to do all this stuff so much easier and, and the team's really great. So so thanks as well. And I'm, I'm really proud to better, to better recommend that. So.
0: No, thank you. We appreciate it a lot. And look, like this is what a lot of our lawyers are passionate about. You know, we want to make access to legal services, you know, easier and more affordable. So... Mm. I appreciate it when we have a client that loves us and understands our value. We have people say, Don't, does this exist for accountants? Come on, surely something like this exists uh, for accountants <laughs> too. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, totally not right. yet. Sorry. <laughs> but look, thank you so much. Um, and it's really important topic. So I'm really, really happy to be here and be chatting about this with you.